You're listening to The Sports Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. This is The, 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 the Sports Show. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, where we bring you the latest sports stories and talking points from the Thames Valley area and beyond. Over the next hour, I'll be talking you through debate and discussion alongside my co-hosts Ed Tolton, Maria Sapsinos and Sam Setti. We've got loads coming up for you tonight, so sit back and join us for Extra Time. Coming up this week, we catch up with Oxford Saints chairman Chris Warren, who discusses yesterday's fixture against the Hertfordshire Cheaters, their first home game of the new season. It was such a good game of American football. We had 150-odd people in the stands, and they got an excellent game of American football. So from a sheer Oxford Saints brand point of view, I'm very happy on that point. I'm very happy for them. Elsewhere, Ed speaks to tennis referee Alison Jackson after she was named the Lawn Tennis Association's Official of the Year. It's been great and it's been lovely to see the reaction of both my fellow officials and friends and yeah, you always get a feeling of satisfaction from running a good tournament but this is a real feel of um, satisfaction at having been recognised. And Maria heads out and about for a session with Reading Archers to watch them in action to find out more about the sport. Archery is all about a mental state, really. Yes, you need a bit of physical strength, but it's being able to sort of zone out to your surroundings and putting your mind in a very calm place. All of that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. Good evening, everybody. That's right. Welcome to Extra Time, River Radio's resident sports show. I'm Will Taylor, joined by a wonderful group of panellists again this evening, as usual. Let's let's get kick things off with our wonderful co-host, Ed, who uh, we were obviously missing last week. Mate, I've got to ask you, have the legs recovered yet? <laughs> just just about, yeah. It's uh, It was a bit of a battle during the week. By about Wednesday, I was starting to be able to kind of walk again properly and, and not be in masses of pain. And by Friday, I've, I've kind of sewn it up, which was a bit of a surprise. But uh, I'm, I'm very glad that we were able to do what we did, do 100 kilometres in under 24 hours. But I'm also very glad that it's done as yeah. well. Just for reference, as for anyone who did miss it last week, Ed obviously completed 100 kilometres in uh, under 24 hours in aid of calm, uh, raising an awful lot of money along the way. So big congratulations with that, mate. Obviously, as well, we'll get onto it in a little bit later. England through to the semi-finals, aren't they? They are indeed, yes. And I actually managed to sit back and, and, and watch that one as a fan. I've been quite lucky to avoid a few England games. This one was in Rome, so I was never going to be kind of on the cards to be at Wembley for, for that one. But uh, I'm doing the semi-final tomorrow between Italy and Spain and I am booked in to do the final. So fingers crossed that the three Lions make it that far. That'll be horrible for you if you have to watch the final between Denmark and uh, one of Spain or Italy as well. <laughs> I imagine when it, now in England could have been there. Sam, I understand uh, you watched it outside on a very big screen on Saturday as well. Yeah, what was that no, like? We, we were booked in for comedy in the park and everyone went, oh no, okay, bad timing, <laughs> clash, clash. So John Bishop, who is a massive football fan, was there. Uh, and Chris Evans was there and they just basically went, no, we're not going to start until the football's finished. They got to half time, they showed it and we were 1-0 up. And then literally Mark Watson came on to start the show and everyone still got, I mean, I've got my laptop, uh, sorry, my phone in my lap. Everyone's got their phone in lap. They could see it, the whole thing's lit up <laughs> and they've just gone, Nah, it's not worth it. And literally, as there was two quick goals, all you could hear from behind the stage was massive cheers, various <laughs> cheers from in the audience. And the, so the comedians just went, you know what, forget it. We're just going to stop until the game's over. 
Well, thankfully, it didn't go to extra time or anything. Um, oh, exactly. Very be- fitting words as well, I suppose. But there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, very, very, uh, sounds like it was, a, it was a great event, that one. Maria, um, I mean, what can we say here? There, are, You obviously have, unfortunately, lost the Predictions League. A very sad look on her face there as well. Uh, we've jested about you wearing the medal and the full kit here, you know, in the studio. You actually are this week, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, someone had to do it. <laughs> I'll take one for the team this week. Yeah. You, were, you were actually really unlucky, though, weren't you? Because we, I put into our sort of WhatsApp group between us that the thing was, because we'd all gone for a British Lions win, that if your score was completely correct, then me, you and Sam would all be tied on the same points. And you did manage to get the opposing score correct. You were just a little bit out on the British Lions, which... Very unlucky. Sees, Very you, unlucky. sees you in full Commonwealth Games kit. In a hat. In, I've even got the socks on, guys. I got them out this morning. Can as I well. just say we are going to take a photo against River Radio <laughs> and be posting this onto social media. I mean, you can you can take the mick out of me all all night. Yeah, I mean, you've done it every single show so far. So this this show is actually real, and the ban. The bat and ball is here as well. There you go. It's made a full appearance, hasn't it? I mean, Sam, I feel like with the with the Lions, it's an interesting one because Sam sort of sowed, sown the seeds of doubt into our minds about how good... We all went fairly big initially before yeah, yeah. we spoke to Sam about it before the show. And then you said you weren't that confident about it. I'm wondering if it was mind games from, from the Huge very last week. Game. You're the reason I'm sat here yeah. like this, Well, Sam. you know, <laughs> well, it worked then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking any hints from you from these next few Can weeks. Can I just say, <laughs> We have actually prepared something special for you as well I thought it was only appropriate that if you were going to come in full kit and you were going to have the medal on that we, we pay sufficient respect to to I've the scenario that you yet. find yourself that you find yourself in so if everyone would pray silence <laughs> you'd have to stand up and put your hand under your heart now yeah. Marie you know, don't you? I've got the medal up I'm holding it up can I just say, have we got the wrong national anthem? I thought it was meant to be the Greek national anthem. <laughs> Every week it does sort of seem to depend as depend. to what, because you're, aren't you a quarter Dutch as well? Yeah, I'm all over the place. Half Greek. I'm all over the so, place. So hang on, no, well, I heard this a couple of weeks back. You're a quarter Dutch, a quarter Greek. No, half Greek. Half Greek. And I was trying to work out which other bit of you was quartered. Yeah. <laughs> Is there another quarter coming somewhere in from else, somewhere Mauritius else, somewhere Island around. or something like that? <laughs> No, but I got the line on me today, so... That's the main thing. Well, so British today. Now, now England are in the semi-final. I can imagine there'll only be one, one place you'll be rooting for. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've switched nationalities again. Come <laughs> on, England. No, nothing like you're in 2004, I suppose. Um, well, that's our panel for today's show. So let's move on to our first feature. Uh, this week, reporter Ben Green spoke to members of the Oxford Saints, who are the highest-ranked American football team in the Thames Valley. With new coaches and players recruited ahead of the current season, there was a sense of expectation when they lined up to play their first home game of the season against the Hertfordshire Cheaters yesterday. Founded in the early 80s, Oxford Saints were one of the leading amateur American football teams in the South East. Featuring an ever-increasing squad with growing ambitions, Chairman Chris Roran explains the current setup at the club. We operate out of um, Tilsey Park in Abingdon. The Oxford Saints in one form or another have been around since 1983. We currently, we're in the Thames Valley Conference this year, which is a special conference set up because of COVID. And so the league restructured everything to cut down on travel times. So ordinarily we would be in the Southern Football Conference Division 1, which is essentially the middle tier of three. And so this year we're playing team, three teams in London and one team just outside. So Hertfordshire Cheaters, who we actually play this weekend. One of those who embodies the spirit of the Saints' current roster is Captain Dean Bryan. 
One of the team's longest serving players, Dean told me about his personal role at the club, as well as where he believes their greatest on-field strengths are as they begin the new season. I've been with the club now for 15 years. I've played 14 seasons. I predominantly play on defence. Um, I'll play anywhere for the team. Um, I'm the captain, so I kind of, I'm a, a big link between the coaches and the players on a game day. Um, trying to make sure that what the coaches have planned on a game day, both game plan wise and then just how that actual that the game day runs um, is smooth. You've only had about three months practicing. Um, I'd say at the moment, the unit that stood out the most for me as far as contact practice and then our first game is probably our defensive line. Um, it looks really, they look really fast, really strong. Um, it is a deep group, so there's a lot of there's a lot of talent, and we can rotate that group and keep keep who we've got on the field fresh. So at the moment, I'll probably say the defensive line is probably the one unit that stood out for me, um, at least at least as far as sort of seeing impact on the field. With the league adaptions rendering the current season a succession of friendlies, albeit them in a conference structure, the longer term aim is to ensure the team is in the best position possible come next season. With that in mind. What does Chairman Chris believe are realistic aims for the Saints' future? Where I want the club and the brand to be is sort of a centre of excellence for American football within within Oxfordshire, within the Thames Valley even. We have a youth team. What I'd like is an under-19, 17 team. I'd like an under-14 flag programme. And I'd like to be working with local schools and sort of all of these elements. And on top of that, the other half of that is I'd also like our senior team to be fighting for promotion into the Premiership and taking on the best teams in the country and, pro and sort of attracting all the best American football players in the areas to come to us and play for us. We've got probably the best football facility in the country at Tilsley Park, so we need to be playing the best, highest level teams there. So on one hand, I'm trying to build this base of this pyramid of American football to make sure that everyone has an opportunity. And then I'm hoping, maybe not five years, but maybe 10 years down the line, that starts to create a pool of talent that we can start drawing up to the senior team to move forward. After losing the first game of the current campaign last week, attentions over the last few days have turned to bouncing back, with the club set to welcome the Harfisher Cheetahs to Tilsley. Chris, but firstly Dean, gave their thoughts ahead of not only the game, but the season as a whole. So yeah, the, the result matters. Um, of course it does. We want to go out there and we want to win. We played Hertfordshire a couple of times a few years ago and they beat us in both games. Um, they're a very good side. Um, we've seen some game from one of them and they, they still look strong. Um, so we've been looking closely at that. Um, what I'm looking at more than anything, um, yeah, of course we want the result, but we want to build. We want to build on the performance that we just did. We want to build and make sure we're moving in the right direction. The results will start falling for themselves if we can build and, and execute on the day. So there's no promotion and relegation this year. So because of the because of the reorganisations and the, what they're doing, it's just like this is essentially a year of, of friendlies now. It's not to say it's completely uncompetitive. It's very competitive. It's the, our game against London, but it's on Saturday, uh, Sunday, so we would have proven. Um, and we would love to, I was about to say go undefeated, but we've lost one. So we'd love to go seven and one, as we say in American football now. But basically, sort of, this is a, a rebuild a rebuild year for everybody in American football, not just the Oxford Saints. So we'll, we'll look at our playbooks, we'll look at our players, we'll try and get our players, we'll try and recruit new players. Uh, we'll do as competitively as we can in this year. And then when we, we come back to the Southern Football Conference Division One in a year's time, with all our regular rivals, hopefully we can sort of... I guess the term is put them on notice for 2022. Come Sunday, a keenly contested game saw the Saints ultimately fall to a 19-6 defeat, with the Cheetahs' clinical offence proving too much for their Thames Valley hosts, in spite of a late surge from the home side. For Chris, however, 
there were still positives to draw from the match despite the loss. It was a tough game. I say tough because it was such a good game of American football. I was I was sitting here commentating and I had a couple of ex players with me and we just kept reflecting just how entertaining the game was um, and our defence just played so so well and I know that sounds weird to people who don't know the sport they considered 19 points um, but they really did the amount of times that we got the ball back off of the opposition and gave the offence a chance to score it was, it was unparalleled unfortunately their defence was equally up to the task and just able to stop them so it's really frustrating but at the same time we had what 150 odd people in the stands and they got an excellent game of American football so from a sheer Oxford State's grand point of view, I'm very happy on that point. I'm very happy for them. And we've got a long road trip now, so we don't come back to Tilsley until the 5th of September. But I think we saw enough today that when I start advertising that game on the 5th of September, most of these people will come back and hopefully bring more people. We'll be out of COVID restrictions so we can get even more people and give them even more entertainment. And then we can just spread the word of American football in Oxfordshire through the Oxford Saints. The weekend's result sees Oxford now 0-2 this season, but with games coming thick and fast, there'll be plenty of opportunities to make amends on the pitch. Now scheduled to be on the road until September, the club has a clear sense of direction both on and off the pitch, and will be looking to make a big impact in both the games and the years to come. Our reporter Ben Green there chatting to the Oxford Saints ahead of their first game this season. Um, Ed, I believe you obviously you went down to the game as well on Sunday, didn't you? I mean, Chris Warren, the chairman you spoke to, said how pleased he was with the turnout. Can you just give us tell us a little bit what the atmosphere was like? Yeah, it was really good actually. I've not I've not watched too much American football. I've done a couple of the NFL games when they've been at Wembley, but that's been over a sustained period of years. And obviously there's sort of ninety thousand there or whatever. But in this country, you sort of sense at those occasions that is. Potentially every NFL you know fan in the country coming down for one big blowout match, whereas in this situation it's a much more localized uh, sort of game. And yeah, it started off they had you know kind of 135. They actually did a head count, and and as the game progressed on, I think it was probably close to 200 to be honest with you. And obviously there's a lot of friends and family there as well. But he had told me that a couple of years ago when they were you know at the top of the league, unfortunately the result means that they're now. As you heard in the package, uh, zero and two. But when they were top of the league, they were getting, you know, kind of 500, which is capacity for the stand at Tilsley. So, no, it was a great atmosphere. And Chris was doing play by plays as well. So, if you've not kind of if you're not terribly familiar with the game and I'm I'm not that was certainly really really helpful and as you said there it's it's kind of deceptive the defense concedes 19 points but actually we're the best we're the best team for the Saints on the pitch so yeah it was uh, it was a really good experience I'm really glad that I went no it certainly it certainly seems like something it's certainly a sport that's obviously growing massively in this country anyway got a reporter Ben Green on the phone um Ben I'm just like I just mentioned American football is obviously increasingly popular in the UK do you think it will continue to grow as it sort of has been um you know and if so how likely is that? Yeah, good evening, guys. Hope you're right. Um, I think there's probably two answers to that question. I think, firstly, kind of what Ed was saying with the game, the NFL games over here, I think they really drive up interest. You get more press coverage for those games than you do for any other NFL games throughout the year. So I think having more games at Wembley, more games at Spurs, that's going to drive more interest. And I think another big key would be kind of what Oxford Saints are doing, where they, ha- they almost have like a centre of American football there. They don't just have one team. They have a youth team. They've got a women's team going. And obviously, the more accessible you make a sport, the more people are going to want to play it. Ben, hi, it's Sam here. Um, Ben, it seems like it's a really good setup at Saints already. But uh, what's the importance of the long-term plan that Chris described? 
think it's, it's you know it's very important to have a long term plan. I think obviously the playing side they, they want to be a professional team, and if they do become a professional team, that opens up a whole new world of sponsorship and and um, brands. But you know, I'm 45 minutes away from Oxford Saints, and they're the biggest club near me. So if they were to become a professional team, what that could do for the area would be huge. I think again, like I said in the previous question, um, having a, that, that you know that hub of American football is really important. And I think if they can continue to build that, you know, maybe get a second team, a third team, more youth teams, even like a, an academy system. I think that'd be huge for them as well. I mean, I sort of want to just put this to both both of you guys, having you both seen it at, at some sort of level as well. Do you think there's any scope for it to be more involved sort of from a younger age? Because obviously it's not something that's played at school very regularly. It's not something that, you know, you hear many kids sort of, playing you know you hear about kids sort of playing do you think it's something that could be introduced at a younger age I mean I'll put it I'll put it to I'll put it to Ed first yeah I mean I think for me what Chris was talking about there in terms of the longer term plan that there is one of the key things was he said he wanted to engage with schools now I went down as I say to the Tilsley Park facility and I mean I haven't been to Tilsley Park for about 20 years and I did it when I was competing in athletics as a junior and I was doing it for, for school and what have you what seems to have happened there is that the council have kept that facility but they put it out to tender and the tender has been taken by Abingdon School and honestly the facility is now phenomenal in terms of the actual surface as Chris said in the package they've got one of the best facilities in the country and if you're going to try and reach out to schools schools are obviously going to be looking and saying well what can you offer us and if that facility is on the table I think that'll be a really key part of their drive to go and achieve that promotion that promotion to to from the amateur to the professional status and obviously you know he's already got a youth team but he wants younger youth teams he wants to put in that kind of almost soccer academy style that I think you you can see and and he's working out of a great facility which I think is a really good starting place and their relationship with Tilsley seems to be very very good as well so fingers crossed that they can push forward and, and kind of achieve that in the sort of five to ten year bracket that he mentioned Ben thoughts yeah I mean look, it's not easy there's a lot of competition amongst you know many sports we've got soccer over here uh, cricket and, and you know if, if you can get a kid playing American football at a young age they're going to carry with that with them you know I I played cricket and football predominantly as a child and I still play it now because I have those memories of when I was a kid playing it. So I think it's something that maybe 10, 15 years down the line, if you get a whole generation of kids playing American football, you may see you know, a massive rise in, in attendances, people playing a game at a high level, maybe sort of a decade down the line. I think one of the challenges for American football as a sport, because um, in America it's the reverse, is it's the... It's the kit requirement for American football. You know, you can put a couple of jumpers down, there's your football. You can put a can, you know, if you look at kids in India, they'll just get a crate and they get a ball and they, it, cricket's done, right? With American football, there's a lot more required, you know, just, just to get a team together of just a couple of mates, you know. So I think they've got not just the challenge of introducing an American sport to the country, but actually how do you facilitate it as a quick game of something because of all the kit requirement? I'm just curious in, in light of what you just said there, because I think you make a very good point. Do you think that, that rugby suffers in that regard as well? Because you don't tend to see a load of kids. When you think about it, all you actually kind of need to some extent is a ball, but you don't tend to see people in the park running around playing rugby unless there's something like a World Cup on. No, I, you don't in this country, but if you go down to New Zealand or Oz, girls and boys play touch rugby all the time. I, I used to play touch rugby down in London with the Aussies and Kiwis and I went down there a bit, bit arrogant and uh, I, you know there was a bunch of girls on the team and I was like oh okay whatever 
Jeez Louise, they ran me <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ragged. I mean, these girls were like, yeah, come on, slow coach, keep up. You know, and it was brilliant. And I spoke to the guys and they were just like, yeah, we just do this down the park all the time. We just go down there, bit of touch, little area, bang, they're gone. So it's touch more than 15 a side that they will play. No, it's certainly it's an interesting point you make, Sam, and it'd be interesting to see how that develops over time, whether they do sort of facilitate uh, more equipment and all that sort of stuff. I mean, American football certainly has shown a lot of growth over the, la- over the UK over the last few years anyway, um, and it'll be definitely interesting to follow the journey of the Oxford Saints as they look to kick on and uh, grow in the local area. Uh, next up, anyway, we're chatting ten- to tennis official Alison Jackson, who recently won herself quite a prestigious award. You're listening to Extra Time, River Radio's very own sports show. And we now move on to tennis. The last week has obviously seen Wimbledon earn its fair share of headlines. And the Thames Valley recently had one of its own in the sport when local resident Alison Jackson was named Official of the Year by the Lawn Tennis Association. She's been described as one of the best referees in the world and following the latest recognition for her contributions, Ed went to meet her and asked her how, in, how her involvement in the game first began. Well, my first experience of tennis was really at school. We learnt it at secondary school. I enjoyed it there and then went on to play outside a bit with my friends in the the local recreation ground. And how did you go about becoming a tennis referee? Because there was a gap between that and your first brush with the sport, wasn't there? There was a gap. I played a little bit at university and when I first started work. But then after I had children, I didn't play for quite a while. But one of my daughters, the the older daughter, was um, spotted at school as having a bit of talent for tennis when she was about six. And that reignited uh, my interest. Now, to be clear, a referee is not the same as an umpire in tennis, is it? Because instead of officiating matches, you're more involved in the organisation of tournaments and then looking after the players that are in those. In the wake of the pandemic, how have competitions had to adapt? We've had to cope with not being able to access clubhouses apart from toilets and so on. Um, Tournaments haven't been providing refreshments. If there's rain, um, we've had to make sure that people go back to cars to shelter. So it has been different. But generally, everybody's just been pleased when we have been able to put on some tennis that we've been able to do it. And judging by the career that you've had, I presume that you've faced many challenges in putting on tournaments. But this was one of the hardest. It certainly was because I've done some national level tournaments since COVID and that has been a challenge, making sure that everybody's aware, restricting the number of people that can come and watch, which doesn't always go down terribly well. But it has been difficult. We've had to sanitise things like scoreboards and chairs that people sit on. But generally, it's all gone pretty well. How important do you think it was to put tennis back on as as soon as you were able to because you know recreation and exercise was one thing that proved a real outlet for a lot of people Oh, I think it was very important and it, it was lovely to see how much people appreciated the tournaments that were put on during COVID because basically the, the, the children hadn't had a chance to play competitive tennis and obviously it's been a bit stop and start. So we had some last summer and then it stopped again and, and we had some a little bit in the winter. But it was great just to get the children out competing and being able to see some of their friends as well. Well, your efforts certainly didn't go unnoticed and saw you win the LTA Official of the Year Award in the last few days. Tell us about that. How did it come about? 
Um, well, the award, there's a tier of awards. First of all, I was nominated by various people for the county award. Tennis is divided into various regions. Those nominees went forward to the county ones and then to the national ones. There are a lot of different awards. It's not just official, it's player and volunteer and all sorts of things. To be recognised in, in this way, after all this dedication that you've put in, it, it must be wonderful. It is, I have to say. It's been great and it's been lovely to see the reaction of both my fellow officials and friends. And yeah, you always get a feeling of satisfaction from running a good tournament, but this is a real feel of um, satisfaction of ha- having been recognised. You were given the award, of course, my Great Britain Davis Cup captain, Leon Smith, OBE. What did he say to you when he gave it to you? Well, of course, it was it was a virtual ceremony, so um, it would have been nice to meet, to meet him in person. But no, he, he just gave congratulations. And actually, during the ceremony, it was actually Natasha Kaplinsky that actually awarded it as well. So that was very nice um, to have somebody of that status giving it. Now, Wimbledon is, of course, on at the moment. And whilst the Euros are on as well, people are focusing on the football. But tennis has, has drawn a lot of attention to. You've had the privilege of being involved with a number of juniors over the course of the years. Who's been the best name and the person you've sat there and thought could well have a big future in the game? Well there have been a few. Some players obviously don't carry on and fulfil their promise but I suppose the one uh, that most comes to mind is Matilda Matavdic. Um, She's actually going to be playing in junior Wimbledon and and I'm actually going to Wimbledon so I'm hoping I'll see her. (laughs) But she's certainly from a young age, she played in quite a lot of my tournaments and it was always clear that she was a very good player, a lovely girl and really wanted to play tennis. Um, sometimes you can tell with juniors that perhaps it's the parents are, more, are keener that they play tennis than the player themselves. But it was Matilda that always led the way on that, I think. And she's really got a pedigree, isn't she? She's seeded 13th in the Wimbledon Juniors tournament. She's at the Rafa Nadal Academy. She hails from Oxfordshire, of course, which is how you came across her and was at Kim Clijsters Academy before. From what you're saying, none of that really sounds like it would surprise you, I don't think. No, it doesn't. Um, No, it's just great to see that she is beginning to make it. And I do hope that she carries on and has, has some good success. Well, it sounds like she could potentially be a name to watch out for in the future. But irrespective of that, the number of juniors you'll have come across, it must have been really rewarding to have been involved in helping their development. It, it has been, yes. Obviously, um, it's the coaches that, that, that produce the players, but it's always interesting to see players and see see how they do carry on and, and go to greater things. I mean, the vast majority of the players that I see obviously will, will become good club players. They'll be able to turn up at any club and be very welcome. So that's always satisfying as well. Now, obviously, your career doesn't suddenly end with the award. It was recognition of your service thus far. What does the future hold? Will you be continuing to put tournaments on into the future? Yes, I I certainly um, intend to, as long as I'm fit and able to. Um, I've got a couple of tournaments coming up. I'm going to be doing a ladies group in County Week in Cheltenham soon. And also at the end of the summer, we always have our tennis festival in in Oxfordshire, the Junior County Closed. And that's always a, a great event. And I'm hoping that we get lots of our juniors entering again. And finally, one other question I would like to ask. Wimbledon, as I mentioned before, going on at the moment. In your experience, does that tend to see a sort of spike in in uptake of tennis, perhaps post-championships? Oh, very definitely, yes. All the courts around the country, I think, are much, much busier after Wimbledon. Everybody gets a taste for it and decides to go out. And and that's why it's it's so great that the LTA is is encouraging people to get out and play and opening up a lot of parks for pay and play. So you don't just have to belong to a club to be able to play. You can go and play in lots of places now. Well, Alison, thank you so much for talking to us here at River Radio. Congratulations (laughs) on your achievement and we wish you all the best in your future tournaments as well. Thank you very much.
Alison Jackson there from uh, the Lawn Tennis, who uh, won the Lawn Tennis Association Official of the Year. Ed, obviously you uh, you had a chat with her earlier in the week. Uh, really good to hear, obviously such an important volunteer, getting some recognition um, sort of in the community and all that sort of stuff. It was a very much deserved award for her as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think Alison's been, been doing that job since about 2005. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I learned a thing or two in that interview as well, because I'd had to, I'd had to look it up beforehand. I think we all think of the concept of a referee in a sport and we automatically, when it comes to tennis, assume that's another word for the umpire. It isn't. Um, but, you know, the amount of tournaments that she's organised is is phenomenal. You know, she was rated, as I, as I put into into one of our links, you know, one person described her as the best referee in the country, if not in the world. And and that's coming out of anyone's mouth. That is that is quite a statement, it has to be said. But it also made me personally quite reflective. You know, I, I enjoy watching tennis on the television, but I never really played it as a youth. But I started to think about all the volunteers that would have been involved in my personal development in sport whether it was in athletics or it was in football and you start to realize that yeah absolutely Alison you know is one of those one of those volunteers that has has helped a lot of people kind of develop and to move on and the number of juniors that she has helped will will be astronomical it has to be said and you know when I think back over my football development I was coached by people's dads who were giving up their time they weren't paid um, and were, were instrumental in what I was able to do just so I could kind of have a kick around and I think actually everybody around the table when you think about the sport you've played in Sam you know and it'll be the same uh, no doubt for, for your daughter as well who's engaged in netball at the moment it's it's volunteers that are helping that development to happen I mean it's, it's interesting you mentioned it isn't it because like you said volunteers are so important I mean Maria obviously you've, you're wearing your medal to, to showcase it. I mean how much of a role did volunteers play in your sort of career? 100% I would not be here if it wasn't for volunteers the moment I, I came from Kingfisher Table Tennis Club in Woodley and the moment I stepped in there it was a volunteer well it was a school club and he, he was a paid coach there but as soon as I stepped into Kingfisher Table Tennis Club it was all volunteers and I think it, it goes to show obviously I do the out and about segment every week and I go down to these clubs and I speak to them and, and one of the first things they say is that the club is run by volunteers people who love the sport and just want to see the sport thrive and want to want to get younger people not even that just get people into the sport and keep playing it and because they love the sport and yeah I had a, I had a really good coach for about um eight years he sadly passed away now that's what I said had but um yeah I wouldn't have been he made the sport so fun so enjoyable and he did it all for the kind of for the love of the sport but also to he invested in me and he invested in time. We, we went to Amsterdam together to a club. He organised that for me. He was there when I won my first national titles. And he was never paid. He was never paid. And it, it just kind of goes to show that it's, it's just unbelievable what some people would do. Again, for the love of the sport and also just because they want to see some people thrive and they want to see some people just go far. And, yeah, I would definitely not be where I got to with, without those volunteers. And it's exactly those kind of qualities that you talk about that absolutely radiated from Alison. It was truly just a love of the sport. And, you know, we heard at the end that she, she does, you know, intend to continue. It doesn't stop because she's been given that award. It's not game over. It's a case of, that's great, but I'll do this until physically I'm not able to. One thing I must say as well is that she did mention in the course of that interview, Matilda Matavich, who is originally from Oxfordshire, and she mentioned as somebody who she felt could really make a dent in the tour and potentially go on to become a, a big star certainly for GB. She was in junior Wimbledon today. Alison went along and hopefully got to uh, to bump into her. She went through in straight sets, two sets to love. She uh, beat her at 
opponent. Now, I'm going to try my best not to butcher this name. Sabina Zelenova from uh, the Ukraine, 6261. So massive congratulations to her. She hails, as I say, from Oxfordshire. She's now in the Rafa Nadal Academy. And uh, as I mentioned in the package as well, the Kim Clijsters Academy came before that. So fingers crossed for her and we'll keep her track on her progress as well. Absolutely, we will. And, uh, you know, just paying testament to Alison there, it really is great to see volunteers like her helping out at the at the local level um, as well as the national and make it more enjoyable for everyone involved. Big congratulations, as you mentioned, from all of us here at River Radio. Right, you've got about 20 seconds to set your sights. Maria's up next with her out and about section where she heads out to Reading Arches. We're back here on River Radio. We're just about to get stuck in to the out and about segment. And this week, Maria went down to Crossfield School to watch the Reading Archers show off their skills and have a chat with one of the coaches about what the club has to offer. Archery, one of the oldest arts still practiced today. Throughout the ages, archery has featured in mythology and the history of human survival, both in hunting and warfare from Artemis to Cupid to Robin Hood. In the present day, archery is practiced mainly as a recreational or competitive sport. I headed out to Reading Archers, a club founded in 1949, to catch up with Nick Bathurst, a long-standing member of the club and one of the club's coaches. Hi Nick, thanks for having me down on this Tuesday night session. Tell me a little bit about Reading Archers and any club history. Reading Archers is a voluntary archery club. We have shot for most of that time at Crossfield School. We've been at Crossfield School since the late 60s and they've been really good in that way. They've helped us out through the pandemic to keep us going when we actually could. Sort of back in its history, Reading Archers were very active. They did a lot of shooting for club competitions out in Berkshire. Nikki Spence, one of our female shooters, she was actually a member of the shooting team for Berkshire, so we'd go and compete for Berkshire around the country uh, up at Ligashall, you know, Archery GB, so representing as part of the Berkshire team. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, the club structure? If someone was to come down to Reading Archers, what could they expect? The setup is like any other voluntary club. We have a committee with a chairman, treasurer, secretary, equipments officer, safety officer, field captain, the usual things that you'd find in any sort of club. But on a standard night, we'll have club members, we will have a field captain who's responsible for overseeing the safety of every shooter and every member of the public. We'll have club members, so there'll be coaches, and all the coaches offer their time for free. They'll mentor shooters, they'll offer help. We've got senior archers who may not be coaches but have been doing it, I would like to say, since Pontius was a pilot with some of them, and have got a wealth of knowledge and experience. Attributes make a good archer. What sort of skills do you need to to become a, a really good archer? Archery is all about a mental state, really. Yes, you need a bit of physical strength to be able to pull back your bow to get the longer distances. You have to be able to pull a certain poundage. But it's being able to sort of zone out to your surroundings and putting your mind in a very calm place because it all comes down to repetitive nature and ignoring what's going on around you and just focusing on where you want that arrow to go so it's slowing your breathing rate down slowing your heart rate down just sort of clearing your mind of the day's stresses and just thinking i want that arrow to go into the gold tell me a little bit about like the the courses that you run here at reading archers right every year we run two beginners courses and usually one we call it have a go basically a have a go is an afternoon where we get people in members of the public and they get as the name says they have a go at shooting 
for an afternoon. We teach them, we lend them all the kit, we show them how to shoot, and they just have a go. So it's an experience day. Then we have the four-week beginners course where we run four consecutive Wednesday evenings, usually in June and July, so we run two courses. Normally it's a maximum of 24 new archers and a coach would have up to four beginner archers and we'll teach them all the way from selection of equipment through to how to put it together, how to stand on the line, we'll uh, check their stance, make sure they're safely. They'll learn how to string their bows, which is put the bow together, how to de-string it, how to take it apart. They'll learn how to score, they'll learn archery etiquette and then the course ends in a competition of everybody who's in with of course prizes there will always be a medal because like every other sport archers are no different we like our medals prizes are always welcome and so there will be the best score on the night but there'll also be chocolate awards for everybody else because we all like chocolate and what happens if you're not a beginner and you, and you want to come down what's the the competition structures for for those more advanced archers if you've been a previous archer, what would happen is you would write to us as a club, you know, email us. What we would then do is ask you down for a assessment evening. So basically you'd come down with your own kit, if you've got your own kit. One of the coaches will take you aside, we'll set a target up and we'll see how you shoot. Providing you are safe to shoot, in our mind as the coach, we will sign you off and then you can pay your membership fee for the year and come and join us and come and shoot and become a member of Reading Archers. Once you've paid your membership fees, we don't charge anything else for the rest of the year because we are quite lucky and have been before the pandemic. We sell badges to other clubs throughout the UK and around the world for a 252 archery scheme and that helps to supplement our income. Admittedly, that hasn't been anything in the last 18 months because nobody's been shooting. Talk, talk me through the kind of the effects of the pandemic on the club. Well, when it first came, we had to close down completely. Lockdown one, we were completely locked down. Archery GB followed the rules of the UK government and they said we had to stop. So we basically locked the kit away, turned the key and went home and sat and twiddled our thumbs and grumped a lot. And a lot of us find this is a stress relief and it's very good for your mental health because it's it, you and the wind and the, the arrow. So when you're sort of cooped up along with everybody else, there was a lot of frustrated people. Then Archery GB did allow us to restart shooting, providing we filled a lot of their requirements. So they increased the social distancing we had to do. They increased additional risk assessments on covid safe measures things like the test and trace app we had to register up for we had to put a booking system in place to enable us to do test and trace we looked at all of the regulations that archery gb put out and then looked what we could do as the club to actually make them work because archery gb said it was down to each club to come up with the safety measures to enable them to shoot archery is by its very nature a bit of a social distance sport anyway so we tend to keep away from each other because you have got what some people would class as a weapon we see it as a piece of sports equipment but some people would see it as a weapon you know and we have safety rules to ensure that nobody gets hurt obviously you're back i'm here at a session what's the atmosphere for all the members and, and particularly yourself to be back it's great uh the members love it we love to come up there's a hardcore that tend to be up here every tuesday night every friday night and every sunday and if there was just two of you two club members one of you being a key holder 
you can actually come up and shoot with just two. Safety rules say we have to have a minimum of two. But people love coming out. It's I personally find that if I've had a hard day at work, it's great to be able to come up to the field, switch off from my, my day job, and just concentrate on me versus an arrow and a bit of paper. What's the, the future ambitions for the club? We'd like to increase junior membership because at the moment the lifeblood of the club is getting slightly older because unfortunately that's what happens each year and there's not so many younger people coming in at the bottom of the club. But like everything else, archery is one of those sports that over the first year you tend to improve quite a lot. Then you sort of plateau for a while and then you've got to get through the plateau before you start to improve again. And that's really just down to keeping on shooting. Aspirations for the club is to keep going, increase our membership. What would you say is the, the best thing about Reading Archers? The ability to be outside with like-minded people, be able to have... A laugh and a joke. We have some club members, i.e. Simon. He's all into the the professionalism, the the skills. Me, I'm, I'm quite happy to come up and I'm quite happy to bring a longbow, which is basically a stick, and just loose and see where it goes. Maria Sapsinos there, out and about for River Radio at Reading Archers. Uh, Maria, obviously, it seemed like quite an interesting sort of day out you had there with them. I mean, what was the sort of training session like in terms of the atmosphere and, and how did it feel to sort of be... Were you, were you sort of standing back a little bit with so many arrows flying around? <laughs> Definitely. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, because of uh, COVID restrictions, I wasn't allowed, allowed to have a go, so it was a lot of observing and seeing what people were doing. Nice crowd of people down there, really, really friendly. Everyone was so friendly. Um but yeah, it was just kind of, Nick took me through kind of everything about the club from how many members they have and, and their clubhouse and how, how you string a bow and how it all comes together and stuff like that. And it was really actually, for someone who doesn't know so much about archery, it was really insightful to kind of how much detail goes into kind of those small little differences between different bows that you can have. And some people had long bows, which were wooden, and then other people had different sort of curved edges to theirs. But no, it was really nice. And there's certain distances, there's 80 metres, 60 metres and 20 metres, depending on kind of what they fancied that night, a lot of them, and, and what competitions potentially they, they wanted to partake in. So it was really good. And, and they're all quite accurate, to be fair. I was like, how are you going to get it there? And, <laughs> and it was like, oh, they do, but on a bad night, they might might not <laughs> but no they were really 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 good archers and yeah really friendly atmosphere and, and nice to be out there and it was just so so peaceful I went down I was I was lucky with the weather it's just beautiful glorious sunshine but not too hot and it was just a, you, a grass I don't know how to describe it it was just a field with these targets in front of you and it was just so surreal it was like you can really get into the moment and not think about anything else while you're there and just be in nature and I don't know if you could hear in the back of the package how many birds were out it was just you were out in nature and the atmosphere and outdoors I think he's going to give up table tennis <laughs> after mean, trying all these sports every week coming back in good to know you've got another string to your bow Whoa. Oh, I'll see you later someone put his mic down dear me <laughs> look did anything else stand out about the sport while you were there I think the, the main thing was how, how technical these sports are. You watch them on the TV and, and you see them and, and you don't realise how much goes into them, the thought process, how heavy a bow is and, and kind of the angles and all those little pieces that they add, like the fibre optic cables add onto their their bows basically to try and make them better archers. And 
it was just yeah I, I think the one thing that really really stood out to me was how you can go there and they have access to the club four days a week Saturdays and Sundays which is just unbelievable and it's a really nice place to be and it's really the winds there well especially on the day I went there and Nick also mentioned that they they go in snow they go in hail unless it's really bucketing it down they they don't stop basically and I can imagine that that is just unbelievable you put archery in the snow and stuff like that so they also go around do some tours he, he was telling me about going to Windsor Castle and kind of doing some different style of archery f- kind of flagpole you, you shoot up in the air and you try and get it as close as you can to the flag but no I mean it was a lovely place to be and I, I'm really grateful they let me come down it certainly looks really interesting down there at Reading Archers anyway and obviously you know they've, I'm sure they've got a lot to look forward to with the Olympic Games coming up as well despite the Olympic Games and uh, obviously the Lions tour kicking off earlier this week Wimbledon progressing nightly, nicely for our hot topic section there really is only one story we can lead with That's right, we're chatting about football potentially returning to its rightful birthplace as England put away Ukraine in the quarter-finals on Saturday, rather comfortably, I must say, and obviously faced Denmark on Wednesday night in the all-important semi-final. I mean, Ed, obviously you are going to be there, aren't you, on Wednesday night for the... No, I'm going to be there Tuesday Tuesday night. night. I'm doing doing the semi-final between Italy and Spain, which will definitely be an interesting game because that's still two kind of European powerhouses. Mm. And uh, and then I'm going to be able to just watch as a fan. Yeah, exactly. uh, Which, which to be fair, is is not to be sniffed at at all. You know, watch the Ukraine game the other night. Really, really quick start. Went a little bit flat. And then then in the second half, you know, kind of it all came to fruition, didn't it? Mm. And I think two goals for Harry Kane. He's peaking at the right time. The team has kind of got that momentum. And for me, we were talking about this just off air. The most dangerous teams in tournament football are often the ones that have that sense of unity everyone pulling in the same direction and for me there's three of those in the semi-finals and it's Italy England and Denmark so uh, you know I think it, it really is anyone's tournament at this point but quietly hopeful that England can make it through to the final I hate I hate to say this and bring it up again but you may you two have made no secret that you two you know you were there in no you, you know you watched Euro 96 as it unfolded how how does this feel in comparison to that I mean in terms of you know the, the whole country sort of got up for the semi-final obviously the whole country will be getting up for this semi-final does it feel a bit different or are you sort of worried about history repeating itself? No, I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd say Italian 90 was a, a better atmosphere because although you couldn't go to the games, everyone was watching on TV. And I just remember coming home from work, people rushing out, windows going up. Eight o'clock kickoffs don't really do that because people aren't rushing back as much. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is... It, Tournaments build. I always say, Italia 90 was dull as ditchwater in the first few rounds. Everyone didn't care, you know. Oh, God, who who have we got? Cameroon. Oh, great, whatever. <laughs> and then suddenly it was Belgium. Suddenly it was Germany. Suddenly the, the whole thing built. Occasionally, yeah. It's just, you just need one fixture to really ignite a tournament. And I think certainly in 96, from my memory, it was the Dutch game where, where England beat them 4-1. And that was a good Dutch side. And to some extent, I think in this tournament, whilst it wasn't as much of an emphatic sc- scoreline, that the win over Germany after all the criticism... For the kind of industrious way England had gone about the group stage did suddenly get people on a bit of a high. And and I think, you know, it's kind of the same, isn't it? Because the group stage is a, 
Italia 90 weren't, weren't ideal. Well, one of the things, I, I don't know if anyone noticed, Foden nearly did a Gascoigne. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it's England, Scotland. He's, on, he's, on, he's going through. He's lifted it over the defender. He's got the same bleached hairstyle I was going for. If he smacks it in the bottom left or right-hand corner... Do the chair. Just do the chair. <laughs> I tell you what, in fairness to him, he did try that four or five times across yeah. the evening, so I think that was definitely playing on his mind. I mean, I, there is one one thing I sort of did want to touch on as well, because a lot of people have been on Gareth Southgate's back as the tournament's got on about, you know, he's not played this person, he's played this person, you know. He, there was a lot of, there was even some criticisms about Sancho starting on Sunday. Do you sort on Saturday, sorry, do you think now it's sort of owed to him for us to turn around and go, you put out whatever team you want against the Danes, on uh, you know on on Wednesday night because you've earned the right to do that you know who are we to be judging he, he got a lot of stick for the Germany lineup but it was a masterclass do you think there's an element of saying to Gareth Southgate now just do what you think's best we trust you personally I mean I, I'm very keen to you know look, I mean Sam and I have known have known the disappointments throughout the years we were talking about it Sam you, you talk about Italian 90 and I, and I wasn't sort of uh, cognizant for that but but 98 France the way we went out as well I mean the thing for me that's important personally and this is going to be a bit of an unpopular opinion I suspect but I'm very keen to not rewrite history we beat a poor Croatia side 1-0 didn't really feel beyond Foden hitting the post and the goal we scored that we caused them too many problems but all of a sudden that was a tremendous tactical performance uh, I would argue that it wasn't but we got the job done and that's what's important against Germany until Jack Grealish came on I didn't feel we were we were prime candidates to win that wow. match personally but when Jack Grealish came on um, well yeah we ran away with it and I remember turning to my to my dad who I was watching watching it with and I said this this to me feels like a Rafa Benitez sort of tactical <laughs> stay in it for 75 minutes and win it in the last 15 I'm not claiming I'm Nostradamus that just happens to be what happened um, th- the difference for me now is that we are peaking at the right time and that's really really important but honestly I mean I remember and I can kind of bring you in here a bit Maria because I said to some friends recently in 2004 when Greece won the Euros at that point, if England get to a final and win it playing the way that Greece did, I will have no problems with it whatsoever. So whilst I don't think it's necessarily been tactical masterclasses from, from Gareth Southgate personally, I think we've got the job done. And tournament football, that's what it's about. And he knows that. And, and however we do it, as far as I'm concerned, he has my full backing. I don't necessarily like the way we sometimes set up and play. I think it's a bit conservative. But at the end of the day, if we win a tournament, I'm more than happy. <laughs> so. Well, I was, only, I was only seven when <laughs> Greece won the 2004 Euros, but... Through my Greek heritage, it has been etched in my mind exactly where I was, <laughs> sat in front of the TV there with my whole family around me, everyone screaming. But yeah, I don't remember their performances as such. But what I can say about the England side, obviously, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I, I wasn't as keen to watch them because obviously I've got a Greek background and I, I follow Greece a little bit more. But what I saw from them playing Ukraine was a much better side than the, the group. The, the group stages they they looked more confident they 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 sort of had a plan and they, they were attacking more and it it kind of all came together and I, I was actually I was glued to the TV I won't lie to you I was there with, with my mum just at home but it, it kind of felt we went out for a walk at about 7 30 and and all I felt when I was going on that walk was that I kind of wanted to be back I wanted to be there for the pre-hype and and everyone around me it seemed like everyone was walking that little bit faster <laughs> to get home and everyone and I just knew that what Every, what was on everyone's minds at that exact moment was they needed to find a TV at that precise moment and they needed to be watching it. It didn't matter where you were, what you were doing. If you were stood outside a pub on your way home just looking through the glass at the, at the TV, it was you wanted to be there and you wanted to watch it. And I, I'm, I'm really glad that I did sit down and watch it. And, and I'll be rooting for them this Wednesday as well. 
it certainly will be interesting to see what we make of it and like you said on Wednesday I think there'll be people walking even quicker than they were Definitely. on Saturday night um, we, are, we have got the Predictions League coming up next We interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you this important news bulletin River Radio has arrived Beautiful Tell your friends but don't forget to wear your mask. That's right. <laughs> now to continue with the tape recording. You're listening to Extra Time on River Radio with me, Will Taylor, Maria Sapsinos, Ed Tolton and Sam Setti. And as we approach the end of today's show, it's time for everyone's favourite radio-based predictions game. That's right, we're here on the first week of, Ju- of July after a month full of predictions and unfortunately, rock bottom of the leaderboard is none other than Commonwealth Games bronze medalist Maria Sapsinos. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a tough month for you. I mean, just talk us through how that, how that feels to, to finish bottom of the first ever predictions league. I mean, it'll go down in history, <laughs> won't it, really? <laughs> I think I should just follow Sam's advice now and just go for where I've been and go on those predictions more than anything else because sort of the tactical looking at the betting websites beforehand (laughs) did not pay. I did it it with Somerset last week um, everyone else went for, I think it was was it Kent, Kent Somerset yeah, yeah, and it I, I did it I, I took a leaf out of Sam's book and just sort of thought I live near-ish Somerset I'll go for it and it's paid dividends because I mean I didn't want to say anything but I did actually win it as well you know I don't know if there's a prize for that as Absolutely much but not. I did come top of the leaderboard just, for, just someone, to, for someone who didn't want to say anything you talked about it an awful yeah, well, lot yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I failed to believe it would have been any different if you had Ed either <laughs> no comment <laughs> We've have, we have got our uh, report, Roman reporter Ben Green on the line as well as it is his turn to pick to pick the predictions we're going to talk through this week i mean ben first and foremost how are you doing mate and uh, can you talk us through the games that you've picked yeah not too bad will um i've gone with four uh, four different sports as well so firstly we're going with england versus denmark the obvious uh, game to pick this week um the second one is going to be the t20 blast between gloucestershire and middlesex uh, the third one is the Lions game this week, which is against uh, Seasale Sharks, if I'm fancy corrected. And the final one is Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 3, which happens on Saturday night in the early hours of Sunday morning. Happy days, happy days. Some really good stuff to get stuck into there. Let's go, let's talk first about that game, um, England-Denmark, that's coming up on Wednesday. Obviously, the big one, as Ben mentioned, let's get it out of the way. Um, obviously, Maria, I'll go up, we'll come to you first, seeing as you, you know, it's only fair after finishing bottom. Don't yeah. like to mention it, full kit. Um, but regardless, um, <laughs> regardless, uh, what, what, what are your sort of thoughts going into that game? Do you think England will get to their first final since 1966. Yeah, well, I didn't back England against Germany because I, had to, I, I took a bit of a risk there and it didn't pay off again. And here I am in my kit with my medal around my neck. <laughs> what else? Uh, I've even got a hat on. Um, but yeah, I think... I think Fair play because it is sunny in here. So. <laughs> <laughs> and we are going for a beer after and you're dressed like that. Yeah, I know. It, the top even says my name on the back, which is the worst part about it. It just looks like I want people to know my name. Well, it's good because the thing is, if you weren't wearing that T-shirt, I'd have no idea who you are. <laughs> 
Yes, actually. We can definitely feel, do you know who I am coming up at the pub? Like, can't we? we can definitely ever... turn around yeah. and point in, but that, that's who I am. You go for a drink in that after, right? Yeah, I think, I think it's compulsory. I think I would have made any of you if you'd had to go into the kit as well. But no, um, I think I think England are going to do it. It's going to be a bit of a tighter match. Obviously, it's a semi-final. The pressure's up and everything, and everyone wants to win. It's all it's all go for. Um, so, But I've gone with a 2-1 England lead. Okay, yeah, that's a, it's a good shout. It's crossed my mind, the 2-1. I'm going to go for... I know what Ben's gone for, because we've already chatted about this, and, and I was of a similar mind, but I'm going to go for a 1-0 England win. I think we'll be back to the slender ones. I think it'll just be be a bit too too much to play expansive football, but we're industrious. I think we'll get the job done. I think we'll get another clean sheet. Ben, thoughts? Well, I went with 2-0 last week, and England won 2-0. So I'm going to go with 2-0 again this week. I think England will... Score two and still not concede any goals. Perfect, Sam. Uh, Dansk. Sorry, do you speak Danish? I lived no. in Denmark for a year, <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm a little torn. But being British and English, is, I'm going England win three one. Perfect. Uh, myself, I've actually followed Ben's lead, not through virtue of knowing what he was going to talk about, but I do just think it will be comfortable enough that we'll make it 2-0. Um, I, I said it before, if, these are, if this is a qualifying game, you expect England to win, and I, I fully expect us to do it. Uh, next up, we've obviously got the T20 Blast, Gloucestershire v Middlesex. Maria, what have you gone for on that one? I've gone for Middlesex. I have no reasons. <laughs> Fair enough. Ed, move on straight away. I've gone for, I've gone for Gloucestershire. They're, they're kind of mid-table. I think they've played 11 and, you know, obviously one game's been called off, but I think they've sort of maybe won five and then lost four. But at this point, the table doesn't lie. Middlesex are, are second bottom. They've lost seven matches and mm-hmm. I think Gloucestershire will probably have Thanks too much. Thanks for telling me that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Ben? <laughs> if you're laughing, you're learning. Ben, what, what have you gone for I'm this one? I'm the same as Ed, I think. I looked at the table... Gloucestershire are two or three places up, so Gloucestershire will take it for me. Based on recent intel, <laughs> <laughs> this is unfair. I, I shouldn't have it. gone I knew it. I'm changing my mind, and I'm going for Gloucestershire. <laughs> I, I have, I did do my research, and I have also gone for Gloucestershire. But well, look, you'll every, all be laughing. Everyone did this to me last week. Everyone picked Kent. I went for Somerset, and look what happened. Um, we'll move on quickly to the Sharks. Be the Lions in the uh, on the Lions tour. What have you gone for on that one? Uh, I've gone for the Lions. And, and we do I'm score. right. Yeah, we're doing scores. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 50-15 is what I've gone for. Okay, fair enough. Ed? Uh, I've also gone for the Lions. I've gone for 12-34. Emphatic from them last time out, and I think they'll get another win. Sam? Yeah, I've gone for 40 points to 12. Yeah, I've gone for 34-0. And Ben, just to finish off on that one? 30-10 uh, for the Lions. I've gone for a clean sheet for the Lions, so we'll see how that ends up. But, you know, <laughs> it's bold. It's risky a risky move. You've got to be in this game. You re- I mean, you're talking to the winner, by the way. Just talking like. to a winner. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, OK. So, obviously, finally, we've got Conor McGregor, Dustin, Dustin Poirier on Sunday, the trilogy of the fight. Maria? Uh, I've gone with McGregor for that one. Any reason for that one? Absolutely. I, I'll be honest, I don't know much about the, the fight, so um, I know McGregor. Personally. <laughs> no, not personally. I wish I How did. has he not been on the show yet? You know, yeah. personally. That's, that's next just week. Wait, yeah, just wait till next week. Uh, I've gone for Poirier. I, I just think they fought each other once each before, and, and the first time McGregor won it, but that was quite some time ago. Personally, and I really hope he doesn't listen to this, I think McGregor's maybe coming down the other side of the hill. I think, I think he's peaked. Um, and I think the guys that are very, very driven and focused in that sport, and particularly and just doing that, tend to be the ones that win through. I think he's got too many other interests, potentially. Mm. And as I say, I think he's on the other side of the hill, so I've gone for Poria. Would you say that to his face? Ah, a safe distance. <laughs> <laughs> he's a regular um, listener of radio, I've heard. Um, ben, obviously, I know this is something you're, you're quite interested in MMA. What have you gone for in this one? I've gone the same as Ed. I'm going for Poirier. I think 
you know, McGregor struggled with the leg kicks last time. I don't think it's been long enough for his legs to fully recover. So if he takes two or three leg kicks in the right area, I think the same will happen. So, yeah. Maybe I would say it to his face. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you could kick him in the leg from that distance. <laughs> Sam, what have you got? Uh, I've got him going to Phil McGregor. He's a fellow taekwondoist. Uh, and, yeah. I think he's going to pull out of the bag. I think he has to pull out of the bag, or it's game over for his career. I think he is such a he is such a pull to MMA, isn't he? That he yeah. would it would be it would be a disaster for him if he lost. I mean, I also think there's there's history of McGregor, and it'll be interesting. You know, I, I know Ben obviously said he's much more of a fan than me and fancies Poirier, but I think he doesn't tend to lose too many rematch fights. When he fought Diaz, he obviously come back and and won. And I think he I think he's wise enough to learn from his mistakes. But I, I do appreciate what you're saying at the same time that it's going to be tough against someone who beat him so competent last time I really do so um, yeah it be interesting to see how that one unfolds won't it certainly will looking forward to it <laughs> we are rapidly obviously running out of time here on River on Extra Time on River Radio uh, thank you all so much for joining us of course uh, Maria thank you thank you yeah I'm looking forward to taking this off soon <laughs> <Better> <laughs> not everything next. don't worry <laughs> better luck next time in the predictions Ed thank you so much for joining us you're welcome the king is dead long live the king <laughs> might get my chair back next week <laughs> Sam thank you as always you're welcome Thank you so much for joining us here on River Radio. This has been extra. Oh, Ben, of course. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> um, 